to be essential uh, original teachings of Christianity, especially in regard to, to what it was teaching, what, what they found the church teaching about salvation. How people can be forgiven of sin through death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and receive eternal life with God. The Reformation sought to, to reorient Christianity to what the Reformers believed was the original message of Jesus and the early church. You're probably familiar with what are sometimes referred to as the five solas. Sola being a, a Latin word for alone or to, to be by one's self. In the years that followed, as the Protestant church began to form, they formed around these, these slogans, if you will. Um, and they are sola scriptura, Scripture alone, the Bible alone is our highest authority. Sola fide is faith alone. We are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Sola gratia. Grace alone, we are saved by the grace of God alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, Savior, and King. Soli Deo Gloria is to the glory of God alone. We, we live as the people of God for God's glory alone. The Reformation became an unfortunate battle in the church. There were many things done on both sides, Protestant and Catholic, in the name of Christ and the church that, quite frankly, I think were tragic and wrong. And I have often thought how quickly those involved in the struggle seem to have forgotten the words of the Apostle Paul that we have seen in our Ephesians text in this series, where Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That is where we as followers of Jesus find the battle That truth is so important to our living out the truth of this text that we've been in. Quite frankly, people are never the enemy. People are never the enemy. However, there is an enemy who often chooses to use people, and it is that enemy whom we must put on the armor of God against. And so this morning we're going to to wrap up our series on what we've called kingdom sowing by returning to the text that we used last week, the Ephesians 6 text. And we want to take a closer look at each piece of the armor of God. Paul exhorts God's people to put on the armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We have We've got a lot of material, so I'm just going to fly right along and, and, and you hang on with me, okay? I want to remind you real quickly of, of how we got here. We started with the parable of the sower and the soils. Matthew, Mark, and Luke in their Gospels record this story that Jesus told. And we noticed some of the differences between the writers, but we also noted that the main points are the same. And probably... The most significant point in all three is that the gospel that is sown by the sower is the gospel. The seed is the gospel. All those who have it 
live it out and, and spread it by their words and their actions. Human hearts, though, respond differently to the truth. And we noted that there is an enemy of God. The enemy of God seeks to discourage the growth of the truth of the gospel in human hearts wherever he goes. Now, why is that? Don't forget this point. I hope that you'll take this one with you because when the gospel gets into the heart of a human being, it opens that heart up to the life that it was created for. It brings transformation. It transforms, using Paul's words in the second chapter of Ephesians, it transforms a person from being an object of wrath to a child of God. And here's the thing. That brings God great glory. It is something that God does. It is something that only God can do. And that is the thing that the enemy does not want. The enemy of God will do anything to take glory and honor away from God. He is all about that. Doing whatever he can do to make that happen. So we have found two hearts in this study. We have found that there is the heart of those who who have never heard the gospel. And we've looked at the way that the gospel gets into their life and the way that the enemy seeks to, to rip the gospel out of their heart and to bring discouragement and trials and difficulties that, that won't allow that, that truth to grow deeply into their hearts. And then there's also the heart of, of the person who is the sower. Those who are followers of Jesus, we respond in different ways to the truth of the gospel And the enemy is always at work as often as he can to bring discouragement to the people of God, to bring doubt to the people of God because the enemy does not want God's people to live out the transforming grace of God in their actions as well as in their words. And and that brings us to the text that we started into last week, Ephesians 6, about the armor of God And I want to repeat one more thing that I've said before. I think this is so important as we consider the armor and what it means and and, and how we, we live into that. We need to remember that this battle is not ultimately about us. The battle is not ultimately about us. The enemy really doesn't care that much about any of us except that we represent God's grace, God's transforming work in our lives through Jesus Christ. And so the enemy will take the opportunity to bring into our lives events and circumstances that evoke responses from us as the people of God that bring dishonor to him. Remember, we've talked about this. That's why we need this armor. We cannot, we, we dare not stand against the enemy in our own strength. That great song of the Reformation. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? And so we strive to bring honor and glory to God in our lives in defiance of the enemy of God by living into, putting on, to, if you, putting on, if you will, the the armor of God. So let's stand and read together 
the same text that we read last week together from Ephesians 6. All right, here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. All right. I hope you heard those words again that we we saw last week. Paul's use of the word stand. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. For Paul, there is no other option. Failing to stand is not in the discussion. Retreat is not a consideration. Stand, says Paul, in the armor of God, and face the enemy. And don't forget what we learned last week. Remember the imperative language? Do this, do that, put this on, take this. It's all in the plural. It's all in the plural. And so the image is that as individuals, we need to be responsible to be be clothing ourselves in the armor of God on a regular basis, remembering that we are not alone. Paul is wanting to create an image here of God's people outfitted in the armor of God, standing shoulder to shoulder together for God's glory in the battle for his honor and for his name's sake. It's a fabulous image. We're not in this alone. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to stand together. Okay, Rachel, let's put up the next slide. The, uh, the pieces of the armor, put them back up there. These are what we just read about. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith for flaming arrows, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Turn to someone and ask them, which of these is your favorite piece of the armor of God and why? See what they say. Two minutes. Go quick. All right. Let's talk about the pieces of the armor for a minute. What what'd your neighbor say? What's their favorite? Somebody? The shield of faith. Okay. Thumbs up for shield of faith. All right. What else? What was another favorite? Sword of the Spirit. How many like the sword of the Spirit? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else? Helmet of salvation. Belt of truth. Yeah. Anything else? Alfredo. You'll take the helmet. Got to protect the brain, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that, brother. <laughs> Spoken from experience, okay? <laughs> okay, Greg, go ahead. <laughs> Where was that? Oh, oh. I was just about to follow this up with, if you think that was a dumb question, you're right. But I only ask that because it hopefully will bring us back to that point. Thank you. Thank you for that. We, we tend to th- look at the pieces of the armor, and, and I, I like the sword of the Spirit. You know, I like that two-edged sword, that, you know, that slashing and fighting. And, and it is the only one, and we'll get to that at the very end. But all of the pieces of the armor are important. You know, Paul wouldn't list them if they, they weren't all important. I think it's normal for us to have a favorite, but we really do need to be conscious of all of the pieces of God's armor available to us. Why? Because it provides complete protection. Every piece is important. Don't put on some of the armor. Put it all on and do it Every day. This is, this is the language that Paul is using here. The tense is not one and done. It is daily. We, must, we have to remember who we are facing. Again, that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. But as we have said, the enemy is not all-knowing, nor is he all-powerful. We face a foe who has already been defeated. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Now Paul uses here for us as his model the armor that a Roman soldier would wear into battle. He, he would have seen that on a regular basis, probably a, a daily basis. And he lists the pieces of the armor. Um, most commentators believe probably in an order in which the, the soldiers would have put them on. So, first of all, the soldier would put on the belt. Some of you, that's your favorite. You like the belt. A belt tied tightly around the waist indicated that the soldier was prepared for action. To slacken one's belt showed that the soldier was off duty. The belt wasn't ornamental. It was was purposeful. It, It served the purpose of gathering in what was a short tunic that was worn under the armor. That was to protect against chafing on the skin. And it also helped to keep the breastplate in place. And the belt is also where the scabbard was hung, which 
held the sword. Now, Paul says that for the people of God, the belt is truth. It is the truth that holds everything together. And oh, does the enemy want to assault the truth to which we cling? And the reason that he does is because the truth is grounded in the character of God. The earliest record that we have of Satan, you know it, it's in the early chapters of Genesis. The enemy shows up, what does he do? He suggests to Adam and to Eve that God is not being truthful. That God exaggerated about the effect of eating the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That, that, that God is keeping something from them. A few years ago, the Associated Press ran a story about a New Zealander who had been ticketed 32 times over the course of five years for failing to wear his seatbelt. Now, even though this was costing him quite a bit of money, he refused to buckle up. The guy just had an issue with seatbelts. So finally, instead of obeying the law, (laughs) he decided to rely on deception. He made a fake seatbelt that would simply hang over his shoulder and make it appear whenever a police officer was nearby that he was wearing a seatbelt. This trick worked pretty well until he had a head-on collision and was killed. The truth is what holds our life in place. The truth is what keeps us centered on who and what God has called us to be. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. As followers of Jesus, we take our stand against the lies of the enemy by putting on the truth of who God is every single day. The enemy will assault us, striving to convince us, especially in difficult times, he will strive to convince us that that God is not who we think he is. We put on the belt of truth by rehearsing the truth. We remind ourselves and we remind one another, fellow soldiers, fellow armor wearers, we remind one another of who God has revealed himself to be. What the scripture teaches us, remembering and recalling together all the times that God shows himself true and faithful because God is truth. And we never slacken the belt. We are never off duty as the people of God who are in battle with the enemy of God. Don't give the enemy a chance because he finds you or he finds me relaxing. The truth, the belt of truth, the enemy will assault that on a regular basis. Next, the soldier would put on the breastplate. By most accounts, scholars say this was made of bronze. It covered the entire body from the neck to the thighs. All of the vital organs were protected by the breastplate. Technically, it covered the front of the soldier's body. Uh, Some added pieces to cover 
the back as well. It was all referred to as the breastplate, covering the vital organs in the body, especially the heart. Now, I don't know for sure what Paul was thinking, but we know that the Hebrew mindset identifies the heart as the place of emotion, as the place of decision, the place where we we process and decide what it is that we are going to do, the place where we decide how we feel about God, about ourselves, about others. The writer of Proverbs reminds us, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart, he writes, for everything you do flows from it. That's the Hebrew mentality regarding the heart. It's like the control center. And once again, in that great Reformation song, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. As the people of God, we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Paul uses a word here that in the original language refers to integrity and moral character. The enemy will assault our hearts, especially over the failures in our lives as followers of Christ. Those that are in the distant past and those that may have happened just this morning. The enemy will assault our hearts. He wants to undo us. He wants to convince us that we're not worthy of the righteousness of Christ. To get us to a place of emotional discouragement and despair. Now, the enemy is right in that one regard. We are not worthy of the righteousness of Christ, which is precisely why we are clothed in it through faith and trusting in his atoning work for us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin in exchange for his righteousness, friends, that is a sweet trade. Unbelievable. The amazing grace of God. Our sin upon him, his righteousness becomes ours. This is the amazing grace. And the enemy hates it. Let the truth of Christ's righteousness, not your worth, not your works, not your failures, they don't define us. It is Christ's righteousness. Let that protect your heart. Now the next thing that the soldier would likely have put on would have been his boots. Josephus, first century Jewish historian, described the Roman soldier's boots as shoes thickly studded with sharp nails. They gave the soldier sure grip. And history tells us that that the military success of both Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar were due in large part to their armies having good boots, good footwear. And they were able to endure long marches at amazing speeds over very rough terrain. As the people of God, Paul says, 
It is the gospel of peace with God on which we stand, on which our feet are secure, our feet are wrapped up in the gospel of peace with God. The enemy does not want people to have peace with God. He does not want God's people to live confidently with that peace. And he certainly does not want God's people taking news of peace with God into the world in which we live to those who need to hear the good news about having peace with God through Christ. And that is what is at the heart of the spiritual battle. Paul says that the gospel of peace is a gospel of readiness. Put on those boots of readiness. Don't let the enemy distract you away from the heart of the battle. Stand ready for every opportunity that comes along to share the peace that God has granted you through his Son. That is the shalom of the New Testament. That is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone telling them? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Again, brothers and sisters, we're together in this. We advance against the powers of darkness together, standing shoulder to shoulder, wearing the good news of peace with God on our feet, giving us the ability to go anywhere and stand on any kind of terrain at any time because we have peace with God ourselves. Peace with God. Wrap your feet in the peace of God and be ready to go when God calls you to do that. Next comes the shield. Now the word Paul uses is derived from another Greek word that in the ancient language referred to a door. The Roman shield was huge. It was a large oblong or oval shape consisting of of two layers of wood that were glued together, covered with animal hide and bound around the edges with iron. Now, it's interesting to me that this is the only piece of the armor that, that Paul talks about the effect that, you know, this is, this is what the, the armor is for. We, you know, we, we speculate together on the other pieces and, and, and they're pretty obvious, but he specifically says that this one is to extinguish flaming arrows. Some translation use the word dart. They, they mean the same thing, which are shot by the enemy. To extinguish flaming arrows shot by the enemy. That is what the shield of faith is about. Historians tell us that the animal hides 
were often soaked in water. They would, they would absorb the water so that the shield would not only protect from the arrow, but extinguish the flames when they stuck into the shield and to prevent the fire from spreading. Because remember, we're together in this. We stand shoulder to shoulder as soldiers of God with with the shield of our faith in front of us. And so if my shield catches on fire, that's not a good thing. It could create fire and, and cause yours to, to catch on fire. And, and pretty soon you've, you've got this, this army of wooden shields that are blazing. Not a good thing. The shield of faith. The shield of faith refers both to the content of our faith, that is, what do we believe about our faith? What does the scripture reveal to us about who God is and what he has done for us? But it also refers to the action of our faith. Paul is creating here, I think, an image of anticipation. We need to expect that there will be flaming arrows from the enemy flying at us at different times during the day. What are those arrows? Well, he doesn't say, so I'm going to guess. I think, frankly... The arrows of the enemy are lies. Always lies. Jesus said that Satan is a liar, that he's the father of lies, and that when he lies, he's speaking his native language. He will lie to us about God, and he will lie to us about the work that God has done in our lives. Have you ever assaulted by shame. I think shame and, and guilt are two different things. I, I think that, that the Spirit of God in our lives sometimes will, will bring guilt that leads to a repentance, a recognition of sin, a recognition of error. Shame, I think, often, at least for me, and maybe you can relate, refers to some of the ridiculously stupid things that I've done in my life even when I claim to be a follower of Jesus at those times, and how many times does the enemy bring those to my mind? Ah! Oh. And, and they, they come along with statements something like this. Ha! Look at the circumstances of your life, guy. Oh, how can God love you if this is really going on? Oh! Oh, it's going on because you did it again, didn't you? Ha! And you think God is going to forgive you again? How many times have you done this? You ever hear conversations like that in your head? No way. No way is that going to happen. There is no hope for you, guy. Given your track record, you might as well just call it quits. Lies of the enemy. The flaming arrows. The flaming arrows of the enemy. Lies about God. Lies about his goodness. Lies about his faithfulness. Lies about what he has done for us. Lies about our hope. Lies about our 
future. The only safe response to the enemy's lies is to have our shield of faith, our trust, actively placed in front of us as he shoots the arrows. And again, this is why it's so important to stand shoulder to shoulder in the battle. How many times have we been assaulted by a lie? And we need someone to remind us of the truth. We need, to, we need to turn to a brother or sister in the battle next to us and say, there's a flaming arrow stuck in my life. Speak to me and remind me of the truth of our faith so that it can be extinguished. There is really only one way to extinguish a burning lie. Do you know what that is? Stop believing it. And the only way that we stop believing it is by going back to the truth of who God has revealed himself to be in our lives. And to believe that with others and to be encouraged by others in that belief. Stop believing the lies. Extinguish the burning arrows with the shield of faith. Next is the helmet of salvation. Now the Roman helmet was made of of bronze. Had a leather strap had a band to protect the forehead and and there were plates for the cheeks and it extended down in the back to protect the back of one's neck. When the helmet was strapped in place, historians say that it exposed very little besides the eyes, the nose, and the mouth. In a battle, in the heat of a battle, clear thinking is critical. To attack the head was an attack on the soldier's mind. And it's the soldier's mind which controls what his or her body does. To harm the head is to gain an advantage. And I think Satan does that in our thinking about salvation. It is the helmet of salvation. Remember again, one of those slogans of the Reformation was was sola gratia, grace alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. The enemy wants to assault that thinking. The enemy wants to make us think that there is something that needs to be done. There are all of the things that we should do. Earlier in Ephesians in chapter 2, Paul writes these words, It is by grace you have been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. My brothers and sisters, I think that that correct thinking about salvation, understanding sola gratia, understanding grace alone, should excite us 
And it should energize us. God has done this incredible thing that transforms people who, Paul says, were objects of wrath into trophies of his grace. I love that image. It's kind of embedded in the language that Paul uses there in Ephesians chapter 2. And he does that so that he might show in the ages to come the incredible nature of his grace. I love that image. Each life of a follower of Jesus is shined up by God and placed on a trophy case so that God can look at the forces of evil in the heavenly realms and say, take that. I win. That's my trophy. I win. That's Paul's language. Remember, remember the spiritual battle is created by spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms in order to make a mockery of what God has done through amazing grace. The battle, again, is never about us. We must not be fooled into thinking that that we are so important and doing such great things for God that the enemy is assaulting us. No. The truth of our salvation, the helmet of our salvation that protects our thinking causes us to realize that it's God who is supremely important and he has done great and unimaginable things for us that we could never do for ourselves. And so we don't want to play into the enemy's schemes by thinking that we had something to do with that. The helmet of salvation is correct thinking about salvation. And correct thinking about salvation will keep us thinking clearly about the battle. To remember, who is this about? Well, it's about God. And it's about Him making Himself known in my life, His glory and His honor. And that's exactly what is at stake among those who observe the lives of those who claim to be followers of Jesus. This battle is important because it's the honor and reputation of our king that is at stake. At some point, my role in this battle, your role in this battle, will be over. And what we want to do is we want to finish strong for his glory. We want to go out of this world singing his praises and not ours. Okay, the last piece of the armor is the sword of the Spirit. It's my favorite. Some of you loved it too. Paul says the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's the only offensive weapon. Now, I hope what's clear is that it's the Word of God that really helps us define all of the pieces of the armor. It's foundational for us to understand the pieces of the armor, the the information, the knowledge of what God has done for us. In the pages of Scripture is the revelation of God and how 
we know any truth at all about who God is and about life and relationship with God. Sola Scriptura, again, one of the five slogans of the Reformation. The Bible alone is our highest authority. For centuries, the church has proclaimed that the Scripture, Old and New Testaments, is authoritative. It's the only perfect rule for faith, for doctrine, and conduct. Friends, when Jesus was was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, do you remember what he did? Quoted Scripture. He responded with words from the Old Testament. That was his defense the Word of God. Now, we are people of the book. And I know that that is true for, for many of us. We are, we are people who, who read it on a regular basis. We, we go deeper and we study it. Some of us are immersed in it for eight weeks together and we're discussing that together after worship services. We are people who know how important it is that we that we get God's Word into our lives, that we, that we read and meditate and, and memorize and journal and study. We don't worship this book, but we esteem it as inspired by God, and we worship the God that it reveals to us. So let me just say, pretty much one thing, one point about the Bible as our offensive weapon. Remember where this text begins. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against spiritual powers and authorities, forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That means that those people in our lives who drive us nuts, those people in our lives who are just a pain time and time again, those people who treat us unfairly, those people who live lives that disgust us, those people, whoever those people are in your life, guess what? You don't get to use this sword on them. It's not a weapon to slice and dice people. It is a weapon to be used against the forces of evil that assault us, oftentimes in our mind, through our circumstances, and often enough, through people. But we don't wade into the crowd, swinging the sword, hoping to do damage. Because remember, our battle is not against those people who are a pain in our lives. I guess what came to me this week as I was thinking, so, so what does it mean? What does it mean to, to use the sword? I think, I think we use the sword bravely and boldly when it comes to standing against the enemy and the lies that he wants to communicate to us in a variety of ways. But when it comes to the sword as a weapon against others, 
I think it maybe needs to be a little more gentle, perhaps a little bit more like a doctor's scalpel, if I can say it that way. You know, just a, 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 a short, perhaps less painful cut at an opportune time that God may provide done out of a spirit of gentleness with the desire to see this person who is my nemesis at that point come to grips with the truth of who God is and the life that he offers to them through Jesus. Far too often through the history of the church, the sword has been used and the cross has been neglected. Horrible things. Much blood shed in the name of Jesus and for his kingdom. That is not what Paul has in mind here. And I guess my, my hope would be that as we, as we look ahead to maybe the next 500 years of the church on planet Earth, I don't expect that any of us will be around to celebrate that. We might be a people who long to see more and more the people of God living out the life, the actions, the attitudes of Jesus in a world that understands power and authority and oppression, values that are so contrary to the kingdom of God that can be some of the most powerful weapons of the people of God as they seek to make Jesus known in their world. I know. It's unsettling. It's unsettling because we will be taken advantage of. We will be hurt. We will be lied to and lied about. We will be treated unfairly. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against spiritual forces, powers in the heavenly realms, the dark places. May we be people of God who who put on the armor of God and live out the life of Jesus for the sake of those who need to know him. So praise team, why don't you come on up, and as, as they come, I'm going to ask Rachel to put up that, that last slide. These were words that, that we read at the very end of this text. This is how Paul finishes it. After he has told us about the armor of God, he then says, and pray in the Spirit... The language there is talking about the the power and the presence of the Spirit. Pray through the presence of the one who indwells you as a follower of Christ on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Let's stand together and I'm going to pray for us. Spirit of the living God, you who indwell us, 
for the glory of the Father and the exaltation of the Son through our lives. We want to be obedient to this command. We want to be a people who who pray through you. We pray in your power. We pray through this, this glorious privilege that is ours of being the people of God indwelled by the Spirit and the power and the presence of God. And so we want to be those people. And we want to start praying in every occasion by praying on this occasion and ask that, that you would take the truth of your word that we have wrestled with this morning and, and begin to grow it, grow it and, and deepen it and, 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 and send roots deep down into our hearts that we might become a people who recognize daily, moment by moment, how desperately dependent upon you we are to be warriors clothed in the armor of God, living our lives to your glory. We pray on this occasion. We want to pray on every occasion. And we want to remember all of your people who live for your glory and for your praise. For those who are here, for those who are far away, for those who live in countries where the challenge to be a follower of Christ is just almost unbearable. We pray for them. We pray that they will know the strength and the protection of your armor and that they will wear it determinedly for your glory, for your praise, for the furthering of your kingdom. Them and us together, standing shoulder to shoulder as your people in this world against the enemy who longs to shame you through us. Holy Spirit of God, don't let that happen in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.